give some background when we talk about analgesics, we first have to start uh, with opioid analgesics. We first have to start with the Comprehensive Drug Abuse Prevention and Control Act of 1970. With this, uh, the purpose was to promote uh, drug education, strengthen enforcement um, authority of the um, and the establishment of treating uh, treatment and rehabilitation facilities and the designation of schedule for controlled substances. So the biggest part that we have to understand is that the schedules were then made um, for all medications. So the schedule is basically a way to map out the potential for drug abuse. So schedule one is the high potential for drug abuse and no accepted medical use. This includes most street drugs to include heroin, LSD, peyote, and marijuana, all the way to Schedule 2, which is the high potential for drug abuse, but does have an accepted medical use. This would include oxycodone, codeine, amphetamines, morphine. Then we get into Schedule 3, which medically, that there are medically accepted uses, uh, but these drugs have a less potential for abuse than Schedule 1 and 2, but can still cause dependence. This would also include specific codeine preparations. Schedule 4 and 5 are medically accepted drugs with less dependence risk than 1 through 3. Of note, um, benzodiazepines to include um, Ativan, Valium, and Librium are examples of Schedule 4, and codeine in cough preparations, uh, cough suppressant preparations, is an example of a Schedule 5. So of note, when we talked about codeine, we mentioned it in, as a Schedule 2, a Schedule 3, and a Schedule 5. So depending on how it's formulated and what it's mixed with, um, the schedule of individual medications can switch. So before we give these controlled substances, we have to understand that there are specific mechanisms set in place for the safe administration, but also the safe um, removal of medications from the medication dispense system, um, which we talked about in lecture. There are two different types of pain. There's nociceptive pain and neuropathic pain. Nociceptive pain results from the activity in neural pathways secondary to actual tissue damage or potential tissue damage. Uh, nociceptive pain, uh, ne excuse me, neuropathic pain is chronic pain that is initiated by the nervous system, lesions, or dysfunction and can be maintained by a number of different mechanisms. So depending on if it's acute pain or chronic pain is how we should be dealing with the individual um, with their medications. Um, so understanding the seven dimensions of pain is important as well. The chron uh, chronology, location, does it radiate, quality, quantity, uh, the setting of the pain, associated uh, manifestations or symptoms with the pain, and what makes it better and what makes it worse. So the first drug that we'll talk about the class is opioids, but it's morphine. Um, morphine is the um, kind of benchmark opioid. There's many different formulations, IV, PO, transdermal, and rectal administrations for the opioids. 
um, it does work on uh, both mu and kappa. Um, and if you look at the slide that has uh, these mu and kappa um, side effects listed, it'll help reinforce some of the content. So morphine by itself does cross the blood-brain barrier. This is where we get the respiratory suppression effects. Um, it mimics effects of endogenous opioid peptides. So it mimics the um, chemicals that are already circulating uh, to help with pain. And it is metabolized in the liver. Uh, first pass inactivation. So if we're giving it orally, it actually has to go through the circulation through the liver, and then the metabolites are what actually has the effect on the body. So indications, pain, sedation, end-of-life settings as well. Side effects include low blood pressure, low heart rate, sedation, constipation, and potential for dependence. Dosage can vary based upon how it's actually being administered. So oral doses are going to be much higher in milligrams than um, other administration routes. So IV, the milligrams are going to be much lower than IM, which are going to be lower than PO. So um, the duration depends upon how it was administered, but also the formulation of the individual pill. So there are controlled release or sustained release formulations of morphine, but also immediate release forms as well. So things that we need to be concerned about for potential side effects, um, sedation is the big one, so decrease their drive to breathe. Um, constipation is a large side effect as well, as it can uh, delay discharge from the inpatient setting, but also can eventually lead to a GI obstruction. So we can give laxatives. Um, I think the best first intervention is gonna be ambulation. Get them up, get them walking around. Inpatient, outpatient, any kind of constipation is going to be, uh, or potentially helped with uh, increased ambulation and activity. We also need to think about orthostatic hypotension. So this is when they stand up quickly and then their body has a sudden drop in blood pressure and they lose consciousness. So all of these are potential adverse effects um, with specific nursing implications for us. When we're giving opioids, we start with, you can start with giving morphine, but then understand if someone's on morphine for a long period of time and then we switch to another opioid, there's something called cross uh, tolerance and cross tolerance. Tolerance means over time, the dose of morphine that they are started on um, is not going to be as effective. So their dose has to increase. Sometimes instead of increasing the dose, we will just switch to a different opioid that has a higher concentration or a greater effect on uh, pain. And so that also comes with the understanding that once they're on morphine long term, and then we switch them over to something known as hydromorphone, um, which is a much it's a 10 times stronger concentration of opiates, um, it will possibly need a higher dose than someone who is opiate naive. So the dosage of uh, the hydromorphone uh, might not start at one or two milligrams, or excuse me, uh, half a milligram or one milligram, we might be at one or two milligrams versus 
an equal analgesic to one milligram of hydromorphone would be 10 milligrams of morphine. So that just kind of gives us a way to kind of understand if we're switching opioids, where to start uh, with the dosage of the next opioid. So morphine, 10 milligrams, I'm not getting good effect. I want to switch them to hydromorphone. I'll start with one milligram hydromorphone and see how that's controlling their pain and then go from there. So there are equal analgesic charts uh, that we can use in the inpatient setting. Not something that you all need to know, but just know that this cross tolerance and tolerance does exist. We need to be careful when administering these medications with other CNS depressants um, as it can cause profound sedation. Um, anticholinergics, there's an increased risk for constipation and urinary retention. And um, hypotensive agents and um, MAOIs are also drug-to-drug -drug interactions we need to be concerned about. Um, The next medication is the opioid agonist, or excuse me, antagonist, which is naloxone. What this does is it comes along and it removes the opiate from the receptor site. This removes morphine, but any endogenous opioid as well. So the first thing that's going to happen when you give this medication is going to be a profound amount of pain being reported by the patient. So when are we gonna actually give naloxone? Naloxone we're gonna give when we think that there is an overdose associated with opioid administration, whether it be um, on the street or within the hospital. Um, things that we, we want to reverse would be profound um, hypoxia. Uh, the administration of naloxone would increase their drive to breathe and potentially uh, fix the problem without having to intubate the patient. Um, the thing of note with naloxone is knowing that the half-life of naloxone is actually much shorter than the half-life of an opioid. So what that means to the bedside nurse is even after the administration of naloxone, they're probably going to need a subsequent dose as well. This would help maintain the increased drive to breathe, um, but also helps us kind of understand that they're going to need to be closely monitored for a period of time until the opiate has worn off. So this will um, throw them immediately into withdrawals with a person who does have opioid dependence, and we just need to be aware uh, that that could happen and um, be cognizant of that. Um, we're going to help support their symptoms, uh, but if it is needed to the point where someone is not breathing, we do need to just go ahead and give them naloxone to help treat the drug overdose. So potential side effects, nausea, vomiting, sweating, tachycardia, hypertension. Uh, it can cause some cardiac dysrhythmias as well. So the next medication that we'll talk about is the nalbufen. And um, this is a kappa receptor agonist and a mu receptor antagonist. It is indicated for severe pain. It's often used within surgical procedures. So it has both a stimulant uh, agonist and an antagonist in it. So this works specifically on the kappa receptor sites. 
So if you go back and look at the slide that has kappa and mu, what you'll see is um, it does the kappa stimulation is going to have um, some analgesic effect. It does have some sedation effect. It still does have an effect on the GI motility. But what, it, what you'll notice it doesn't have is the euphoria, respiratory depression, and physical dependence associated with it. So it's a little bit safer drug um, to use, but it does have um, um, some, you know, the GI uh, issues and the sedation effect uh, can be concerning. So it is a schedule four um, and if the patient is uh, opioid dependent, uh, it can precipitate uh, withdrawal symptoms as well. Because remember, at the mu sites, it is an antagonist. So it's going to pull off any uh, endogenous or exogenous um, opiate from those mu receptor sites. So along with that, adverse effects include... Um, Nausea, vomiting, zero stoma, which is dry mouth, can cause some hypotension, urinary retention, um, and increased workload uh, of the heart. So that is a safer drug, but still has a side effect profile to be concerned about. So special populations, children, we're going to assess their pain uh, using a FACES scale. Uh, and I know that um, talked about this in uh, fundamentals, but I know that you will definitely talk about this during your pediatric rotations uh, during the spring. Um, we need to use appropriate communication skills for the age that we are discussing pain with um, and understanding that each individual case is going to be different and we're going to have to involve the parents in this, in this discussion and assessment as well. Older adults, we need to be concerned about the dosage of the opioid that they're receiving. Uh, they have the ability to hold on to more opioids in their fat tissue. They have a higher concentration of um, overall uh, fat, and the opioid sometimes can sit up in the adipose tissue and then all of a sudden be released all at the same time. So it can have profound hypotension and respiratory suppression uh, potential uh, respiratory arrest in the elderly. So it's not that they shouldn't be receiving opiates, but we need to be concerned about how much they're getting uh, as the side effect profile increases in older adults. Um, also in older adults, there are differences in the reporting of pain. Um, usually um, it's been found that they underrate their pain. Um, not saying that you go off what they give you and then, you know, increase the documentation of how, how they're rating their pain, uh, but just know that it might take frequent um, reinforcement of how to control pain as we move forward. Something of note is called the WHO ladder. Uh, it's a stepwise approach to pain, and it kind of gives us what we should be using as first line, second line, and refractory pain. And what you'll notice is the first line, um, first step within the WHO is ladder. The first step within the WHO ladder 
is uh, the use of acetaminophen or NSAIDs. And then after that, what we do is that we add on an opioid. So we don't just start with uh, acetaminophen and um, an opioid together, but the reason why step two has them together is that they have a synergistic effect. They both make the other part of the medication in the combined pill work better. So what you'll see is you'll see hydrocodone, excuse me, hydrocodone and acetaminophen together in one pill. And that has been shown that there's a much better effect on pain with them, with these two medications together. Of note, we need to be focused on first starting with Tylenol or excuse me, acetaminophen or um, ibuprofen first, and then in uh, including the opioid.